Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Man, I am so excited that you are back from your vacation, not only because we get to chat, but because I don't have to answer your uh, email away status messages. I feel like people were trying to contact you and they weren't hearing back because you were so far off the grid and oh man, that I was getting your like secondhand requests of where's Andrew? When's Andrew coming back? When's the podcast coming back? First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to Rob Mahoney for subbing in uh, on last week's episode. Absolutely. Uh, Rob was great as always. I do listening i only listened to the first 20 or 25 minutes of you oh, and Rob. perfect really appreciate that <laughs> but i it makes me wish that we all lived in the same place because doing a podcast with three people on the phone is really tough but if we all lived in los angeles for instance i think we could really kill it with like a three-man weave pod on a weekly basis look all these people were saying i was a jerk to you for all the mean things i said about your intelligence on that last <laughs> pod but if you're gonna come right out of the gate and say you could only make it through a third of the podcast then thanks for nothing andrew i did well... get this into my instagram dms though here here it comes from our buddy murphy's law he uh-huh. writes i normally email in but this is all caps urgent and needs to be asked (laughs) is andrew sharp player tanking mr enjoys dc and doesn't travel very often decides to go to oh man during the busiest time of the nba season not only did lebron james go out and force his nephew brandon ingram to step up then the quote-unquote thorn in his side john wall decides to have season ending surgery Is he going off the grid, something that he never does, (laughs) for two very important weeks just to prove that the open floor globe needs his flaming hot takes? And before I turn the the stage over to you, first of all, guys, vacation shaming is not cool, okay? Andrew earned his vacation, and we work Uh pretty hard here on this podcast. You're allowed to go away for a couple weeks if you need to rest and relax, especially over the holiday season. So I was prepared to defend you, but Murphy makes some great points here, Andrew. I mean, is this a coincidence or what do you Does have to say Does he really though? Hold on. I mean, look, first of all, I was away for one week that happened to coincide with breaks over Christmas and then some weird timing around New Year's. I, I wasn't as long as it may seem to some people. And second of all, you know... I don't know if the NBA was really that busy over the last 10 days or so. I was pleasantly surprised by how little actually happened. Uh, Granted, there was the John Wall news, which we can get to later in the podcast if you'd like. Are you just, Um, are you blacking out on James Harden's like 10 straight 40 point games? Are you just pretending that didn't happen? That was a pretty big deal. I mean, I guess so. It's, it's the way Harden scores though. It's like 40 point games and 400 free throws. I mean, come on, you know, we know if if Steph did it, we would have to have six pods, probably emergency pods after every single game, but Harden does it. We don't want to give him any credit. We got to, you know, deduct style points. I get it. No, look, you bring up a point that I, I wanted to discuss with you later in the podcast. We may as well address it here. The only portion of the Rob podcast that I heard, I was I was at breakfast in Oman, which, by the way, was delightful. I ended up liking it so much more than I thought. Um, I, I went to Oman because my wife had worked there um, 
for a while. She was with the World Bank, and she spent a number of trips traveling to Oman and always wanted to come back for vacation. So we finally did it this year. It was awesome. Um, And after a months-long shaming campaign from Ben, I actually shared some on Instagram. So hopefully people saw that. But You were killing it on the gram. There's no question. I do have one question to ask you about, oh, man. First of all, that was a very nice, humble brag uh, on behalf of your wife. Very impressive. I didn't realize she was so distinguished. <laughs> She's a uh, lot more impressive than me, no no doubt. Okay. Uh, in Oh, man, how open is their society? In other words, are they able to follow the NBA? I'm not asking if you ran into like any listeners. I mean, that would be a stretch, right? But like, do they have the ability to follow the NBA if they want to? Uh, as far as I know, yes. I think basketball, I mean, I saw some basketball jerseys while I was out there. Um, I saw some Lonzo Ball jerseys, actually, which was great. Uh, so Lonzo's still killing it on the Arabian Peninsula, if not necessarily Los Angeles. Um, that, that's probably where Leangelo is playing, actually. Because the, <laughs> the, the, the reason why I asked, though, uh, is because I had this mental image of you on the beach in Oman, like introducing people to basketball. And you were like, no, seriously, like Gordon Hayward, like this guy's an MVP candidate. He's unbelievable. And them just having like no context or ability to fact check anything that you say. And it got me really nervous. Was that not what was happening over there? Not really. I I was not the guy trying to bring up the NBA in every conversation we had. Um, although I think in general, soccer is very much the dominant sport over there with oh. basketball kind of a distant second or third. Um, but again, I, I wasn't trying to be the guy who, who steers every conversation back to sports. But, okay, um, another O-Man question. Was okay. the highlight of the trip riding the camel that you shared on Instagram or was there something better? Um... The highlight of the trip was actually I went to a canyon like two hours from where we were staying. We went to kind of go for a day-long hike, and uh, the canyon doubled as sort of an oasis. And so it was basically like half hiking and half swimming in this waterfall oasis situation. I'm really not sure how to describe it, but it was one of the most breathtaking days i've ever had and it was just like it was really really cool and um i didn't realize you were going to heaven this is incredible (laughs) it was great there's a lot of natural beauty in oman do they have ranger ricks over there like what's the deal with the uh ranger set the setup you know no not not that i know of i don't know whether i was technically in an omani national park but i do think that you would have been right at home with um our itinerary for the day and then we did a little desert time afterward where i did ride a camel and let me tell you something Riding a camel is pretty scary. Uh, I, <laughs> I eventually got the hang of it, but you're very high off the ground. And the camel, there's a lot of like grunting from the camel, which makes it clear that he does not want to be ridden. And so it was it was a tricky situation, touch and go, but um, I made it through. So all, all together, it was a great six days over there. Yeah, that picture was the peak of my jealousy of your trip, I'll be honest, because (laughs) for some reason, I'm afraid of dogs, I'm afraid of horses, but for some reason, I really want to ride a camel, and you were just over there stunting on your camel, looking real proud of yourself on the gram, and I was thinking, man, this guy's really doing it big to close out 2018, but it's great to have you back. It's very funny, though, because I did think to myself, I don't know whether Ben would be down with this, because it it kind of feels like a safety hazard to be like eight (laughs) feet off the ground on this wobbly camel. But um, I'm glad to hear that you would 
throw caution to the wind and jump on there with me. So maybe that's that's a open floor bucket list item. Down the line, we can get to, to the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, look, there's worse ways to go. I mean, like if you're <laughs> taking a header off a two-humper, that's no problem. Yeah, it would be a pretty baller uh, death. Um, anyways, before we jump into Kauai, San Antonio... I did, I've, per the emailers, there were a number of shots taken at me on the on the Mahoney pod. And additionally, I heard that you kind of betrayed me, and I heard part of what you were saying about Steph Curry. And I just want to say, I really don't understand where all this comes from with, like, Steph shrinking from big game moments and... Um, and you continually bring up the finals MVP thing as if that's something that matters. And it's not just you. This is something that everybody does. But I think we should all agree to just sort of drop the finals MVP talking point because that's basically like bringing up an SP mm. as if it's something mm. that matters to someone's legacy. Well, sounds like somebody didn't watch the Christmas Day game. Um, no, you know what? I did, and then I saw your take on it. Like, this is another Christmas Day game where Steph doesn't come up big. And it's like, I don't remember any any performance from Christmas Day over the last five to ten years. Like, there's no definitive LeBron Christmas performance. Yeah. Christmas Day is not a, a, a showcase that really matters. It's not like it's game five of the finals. Well, I'll tell you what, LeBron with a uh, strained groin was still better than Steph. That was a definitive <laughs> performance. Nice big road win. Uh, getting the Lakers fans at Oracle Arena uh, hyped up. Uh-huh. Look, that was that was mostly to troll you to see if you paid attention. It's great it to work. No, well, it half worked because you didn't even <laughs> listen to the whole podcast. But um, no, I like you got to give KD his due for his finals MVPs. That was my point. And I think that is actually a pretty nice segue uh, to this, you know, Raptors Spurs game that unfolded tonight. My main point with the KD thing was you can't just put some random guy in that spot. And because Steph has this amazing gravity, the guy who's in that spot's going to be able to deliver the type of numbers that Kevin put up in the finals in back to back years. I think people slight Kevin's finals accomplishments, uh, especially Steph stands to sort of glorify Steph's overall impact to make up for the fact that Steph hasn't won a finals MVP award. And I'm just saying, look, Kevin deserved those two awards. He played great in those finals, and he, and he deserved it. Now you look at Kawhi Leonard, biggest regular season game of his career. Everyone's hyped up, finally paying attention to him. He goes down to San Antonio and gets absolutely worked by Greg Popovich, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like, Are you going to step up in the big moments, or are you not going to step up in the big moments? And <laughs> Okay. I just want to be very clear that – like random uh, sleepwalking games on Christmas are not the big moments, and so if if you were just looking for a launching oh, pad but, to okay. troll me, get off, then get off success. Christmas, get off Christmas. We're talking about the finals and KD's performance in the finals. It was not just to slight Steph; it okay. was to counter the argument that Steph has this amazing impact and he's the true Finals MVP of those teams. Because Kevin had great performances, like I just said, consistently throughout both those final series. And yes, he benefits from Steph's presence, but Steph benefits from his presence too. And if you just try to give Steph all the credit for those finals, I think you're really missing the point of what happened. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like, let's put Kawhi Leonard into Kevin Durant's spot in those two finals. Are we sure Kawhi Leonard's going to put up the same numbers as Kevin Durant? I'm not. He can't even get up for his big homecoming game in San Antonio. He gets wiped off the court and outplayed by DeMar DeRozan of all people. <laughs> so uh, I love that you are 
you managed to put down DeRozan and Kawhi at the same time there. And I, so, yes, let's let's move off of Steph. I want to clear out for you because he, it seems like you're just ready to tee off on Kawhi altogether here. And we're recording this on Thursday night after the Spurs came out and just worked the Raptors for three and a half quarters. It was a 25-point game, and we decided to just call it and start recording the podcast. Um, is that your takeaway, that Kawhi kind of shrunk from the moment tonight, or was it was it broader than that? I don't know. Um, well, I think, first of all, no, Larry. So let's give the Raptors fans that. I will say, while you were gone, I found myself in a 50-email exchange with a Raptors fan named M. Ingram. I want to shout him out for keeping me uh, company over the break. I had a lot of time on my hands, Andrew, and he wanted to debate strength of schedule and could the Raptors, you know, how would they do in the Western Conference and how many teams could win the Eastern Conference and so forth. That Um, is, hold on, that's hilarious because I was checking my email maybe like once a day while I was on vacation. And one day toward the end, I saw an email from M. Ingram. And he said, are you guys just going to ignore my detailed analysis regarding East versus West conference imbalance? And I thought reading that, I was like, you're out of luck. Yes. The answer is yes, we are ignoring it. (laughs) But the the answer is yes, I'm on a camel. Get away from me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad that you were willing to do a 50 email deep dive with him. Um, So continue. No, it was just another really humbling moment for the Raptors franchise. And as we were going through the debate about, you know, which conference is better, I mean, it's clear which conference is better. Obviously, the Western Conference. you know, you look at Toronto's track record as an organization. I mean, if you look at the teams they've actually beaten in the playoffs, like let's put aside the fact that they've lost to LeBron, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just focus on who they've beaten in the playoffs. It is a sad sack of teams, Andrew. I mean, let's start with the Wizards from last year. I mean, that was a really, really rough team, but you just go right back through history. I mean, they've basically beaten nobody. They've spent all season long desperately crying for respect the smart fans like m ingram who's going to point to their point differential and their strength of schedule and all that stuff but also the casual raptors fans we've been hearing from for years who just think that canada gets overlooked and all of that right Uh uh-huh the biggest showcase game of the season they don't get to play on christmas right they just they're already being ignored they get their big moment in the sun Kawhi Leonard versus DeRozan in san antonio and this is what they come out and deliver i mean it's rough i think if I was a Raptors fan, first of all, if I was M. Ingram, no offense, M, because I did appreciate our conversation, I'd be hiding. I wouldn't be answering any of my emails for the next two <laughs> weeks. And I suspect most Raptors fans will be doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, can I ask you, did you think that there was any hint of player tanking on Kyle Lowry's part sitting out so that perhaps DeMar could kind of get his moment to shine tonight? <laughs> I love that theory. If they hadn't sent out like a nine-paragraph press release about his injury, I'd be with it. But yeah. maybe that's just further evidence for your conspiracy. Like they had to really sell it. You know well, what I mean? It's because like, we can't saw... just say he's got a sore back. Like, let's <laughs> give like every detail, you know? Yeah, and I saw a video of Lowry pregame, and he looked fairly spry. And like he could have played if he really wanted to, but uh, perhaps he just wanted to sort of let DeMar cook tonight and get a little revenge on Masai. Um, uh, here's my real take from that game, Andrew. What? 
guys in these situations, and it's fresh on my mind because I just watched Paul George play his first game in L.A. since, like, basically not giving the Lakers a meeting last summer. Mm-hmm. They love to go to the cliche of, oh, it's just another game. You know, the fan response doesn't bother me. It's just another game. That was not just another game for Kawhi Leonard. That was a huge moment for him to prove himself, to show that he had put his stamp on it, to do what Paul George did against the Lakers, go out there and score 30-plus, be the dominant offensive uh, player in that game, and win it down the stretch. Instead, he got wiped off the court, uh, you know, teams blown out. Uh, yeah. You know, they're embarrassed, basically picked apart, dismantled, humiliated, I mean, whatever you want to call it. And I think we should just flip it around because it was just another game for Greg Popovich. He's humbled. He's dissected far more accomplished players than Kawhi Leonard. He took apart LeBron James in the NBA Finals. He took apart Steve Nash multiple times in the Western Conference Finals. He actually beat your favorite guy, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, those guys who you love to hype up, the big market guys. Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich took those guys down multiple times. He even took down my guy, Kevin Durant, in the 2014 Western Conference Finals. He has picked apart all of those guys, had his team ready time after time, and Kawhi Leonard's just, you know, just another game for him. You see, this is why I needed to clear out because I knew that the Spurs fan in you needed to peacock a little bit and sort of toot your horn. This is, is like a... another playoff victory for you. I'm not going to call it another Look. title because I know you guys have enough rings. Like Titles yeah. are, are serious business down there. But this was a really sweet win, and I guess that the the best way for you to celebrate is to pretend that it was just another game. I don't know. Well, look, they only hang real banners in the AT&T Center. They hang championship (laughs) banners, and they hang Rodeo of the Year banners, okay? That's the only thing that's going to be up there in the Raptors besides number 21. Right. Um, But, yeah, no, I I mean, in all seriousness, it was a huge win for San Antonio, even though they're going to downplay it. And they have had an incredible month. Like, I don't know how much you've been following in terms of their offense. Like, they came into L.A. last week. And put up 122 on the Clippers. Yeah. The lightest, the lightest of work. Like, they did barely even sweat to do it. And I think they had the number one offense in December in the entire NBA. If you had told me that on Thanksgiving, I would have called you a liar. Like, I would have slapped you in the face. I would never have believed it. I mean, remember all the hand-wringing we did over who's going to be their playmaker, who's going to be their offense initiator? You know, Deontay Murray's gone. He was supposed to be the guy. Now what? We should give some credit to DeRozan for stepping up, uh, you know, as a passer and a playmaker. I think he actually got his first career triple double against the Raptors, which is, you know, pretty poetic. And I'm sure uh, the beat writers well, are are very thankful for that. But he's he's done more lifting their offense, like he really has. And I would say that coming out of that game, I was really impressed with DeRozan. DeRozan played the way I think some people expected Kawhi to play, where like from the yep. opening tip, DeRozan was going right at Toronto's neck. It was getting to the rim, was sort of like forcing the issue on every possession. Every time he touched the ball, he was trying to make a play. And he, that energy wasn't quite there from Kawhi. And um, that's fine. It's not. It doesn't have to be some like horrible strike against him because for him, like maybe it was just another game. I mean, Kawhi is just a weirdo. He's impossible to read, but it was really fun to watch DeRozan. And it was really cool to see the Spurs kind of have that moment tonight. Because I think if you're looking at this from a place of neutrality, I I don't think either DeRozan or the Spurs ever really did anything wrong uh, last year. And granted, like people in Kawhi's camp would probably say differently about San Antonio, but like, 
I don't know. I mean, they, they this was just kind of a really weird situation where guys like Pavovich and DeRozan were swept into it. It was nice to see them have that moment of catharsis where they just beat the crap out of the Raptors last night. It was fun. It probably means nothing. Uh, but if, it, like, all things being equal, that was kind of the outcome I was rooting for. Yeah, basically what you're saying is that Pop and Kawhi were both like the guys whose wife left them and they were able to find a happy second chapter is, is sort of what you're getting <laughs> kind at. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, ask you two hot take questions. Keep uh-huh. in mind. Andrew, I'm just asking questions, okay? I'm going to I'm going to hide behind that uh that straw man, right? Yes. Uh does this game prove that Kawhi Leonard is not a real MVP candidate? That's number 1. And number 2, does this game prove that Kawhi Leonard is not cut out for the limelight of the Lake show and that Lakers fans should look elsewhere? <laughs> so I'm glad that you're hiding behind the veil of just asking questions because you were texting me something similar along these lines before we went on the air. I don't think it does at all, okay? So I'm going to let you make the case that perhaps this this means something more to Kawhi Leonard. But for me, I think he's still a really good player. He actually was pretty decent tonight, even. Um, it, it, the problem was everybody else on the Raptors and also that like the Spurs were just clinical and could not miss a shot for the better part of four quarters. But um, I, I mean, I think Kawhi is still really, really good. And I still would put him a tier below like that top five group. No, he had a strong night. I mean, his one defensive rebound was really impressive. <laughs> the, the minus 22 just jumps off the page. I mean, just quality all around effort from Kawhi. Yeah. Um, no, look, I, in all seriousness, you don't never judge guys by their best night or the worst night. This was obviously not Kawhi Leonard's worst night. But we have said this months in advance the spotlight will be on Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs like it's never been before the Raptors fan base and the local media there and the entire environment is I don't want to say toxic but it's overwhelming they have caused implosions for this team in the past right where the pressure builds up people start making weird decisions things don't go right they don't respond to adversity well and it all blows up in their face if I was a Raptors fan, what happened tonight would be my absolute worst nightmare because I would be worried in the back of my head, uh-oh, is this what's going to happen in the playoffs? Yeah, well, and I do think that it's fair to say that the Raptors should be more concerned or the Raptors have more red flags than you would typically expect from a team that's leading the East. Um, and, and I think the, like the concerns are real, and we just kind of have to wait and see. I think. Yeah. Can a- I ask you that? Like, as a Celtics fan, are you are you worried about? Like, are you f- afraid of Toronto? Like, if you're looking at them in a matchup, and okay, Kawhi is the best player in that series. I mean, does that scare you? I mean, who are you more scared of at this point? Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly. Like, who's the fear factor? I think that I might have to say. Milwaukee is the scariest team at this point. I mean, they're playing really well. And by the way, Milwaukee and Toronto play on Saturday night. Milwaukee has already beaten Toronto twice this season. I mean, like the Bucks have a really good claim as the best team in the East and have not really been talked about in those terms all year. But like, if we're talking strictly about the regular season, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure anyone has a better case than than Giannis and everybody up there. Um, as far as Boston is concerned, <laughs> first of all, 
I'm not a Celtics fan. And that, that is a trope that we are leaving in 2018. And bringing up the Gordon Hayward MVP argument <laughs> on a podcast in August, we brought up MVP odds. And I said Gordon Hayward at 80 to 1 was a dark horse. I never said he was an MVP favorite. God damn it. But yeah, a dark horse like a camel in the night. <laughs> God, this is a rude awakening after a really nice vacation. Um, no, like the Celtics, I do think that Hayward is going to end up being a, a kind of the X factor for them. Like if they, I mean, he looked great the other night. They need either Hayward or Jalen Brown to come back from the dead before we start to take them seriously as a threat to win the East. Um, Horford has looked better lately, but that's another one where, like, let's kind of wait and see where we are in March and April before we start penciling him in as, like, a real playoff factor. Um, So to me, it's kind of wide open, and then you've got Philly in there as the wild card, who we can talk about in a second. But, I mean, all, all four of those teams have reasons to be optimistic and then reasons to be a little concerned. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, there's a lot of parody at the top. Before we get to the Philly stuff, though, I want to make amends here, and I want to clear out for you for a second uh-huh. because, okay, I have been a little harsh on you, but it's just out of love. I'm, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> I want to clear out because I know you've got some heater takes on Danny Ainge's response to the LeBron, you know, self-proclaimed goat uh-huh. uh, you know, controversy from this week, and I'm sure we can dig into that deeper as well but what exactly did danny say i'm not sure i caught the full comments and why did it have you like cackling on twitter for like two hours straight this afternoon well i mean i cackled on twitter briefly but here's what he said danny ainge this is a tweet from jared weiss this afternoon he said danny ainge on lebron saying he's the greatest of all time ainge said his career's not over i just like to know why he's saying that i don't know maybe he thinks that that sells Maybe he's taking the Donald Trump approach and trying to sell himself. I don't know. And I just loved it because Ooh. it was like the ultimate troll to compare LeBron to Trump, knowing that that would drive him insane. And I don't know. Maybe we're reading too much into this, and, and Ainge is just sort of like chronically 20 to 30% too honest <laughs> in interviews. That's why I've always liked talking to him. Um, and I, I don't think that this was some Machiavellian troll attempt from him uh but it came off that way and i I just like feeding into the celtic the ongoing celtics clutch sports feud uh was great as far as i was concerned i didn't think it was that deep until you tweeted the possibility but you sold me completely like i (laughs) i think danny spent like just like i was arguing with the raptors fan for all of christmas i think danny spent like four days writing that line i really do (laughs) Maybe. I hope so. Um, but look, elsewhere in the East, let's move on to the, to the Sixers because well, you saw Philly in LA recently. Yeah, I, I do want to go in on the Sixers a little bit, but can I just get some LeBron goat thoughts off my chest here? Yeah, please do. So I want to give him an escape uh, hatch, okay? Because I'm not totally sure he understood the gravity of what he was trying to say. Maybe he did. Um, but the way he phrased it, he it sounded like he was saying in the moment after winning that title, that's when I felt like I was the greatest of all time, right? Yep. That's the escape hatch I'm going to offer him because if he's serious, 
I'm with Danny. He's got to chill on the self-promotion, especially mid-career. That's just crazy and reckless uh, from a player of his stature. But if he just was saying, look, after the biggest victory of my life, I felt like a million bucks. I felt like I was better than Michael. I can understand that. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if you file a story, isn't there like, you know, a 10 minute window after you file it where it's just like the purest bliss <laughs> of I all feel time? Like the greatest sports writer of all time. I don't yeah. know. Some stories. You're like Lee Jenkins, Rick Riley, <laughs> you know, whoever, you know, whoever, like I'm on your level, Hemingway, the person who wrote the Bible, whatever. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, but if that's not what happened, I think we really need to dig into his his main argument, which was, look, I carried Cleveland, this city that had never won a title for 50-plus years, to a championship, and I ended the curse, and, and on and on and on. First of all, LeBron, you don't get bonus points because Jose Mesa blew a World Series against the Florida Marlins. You don't get bonus points because the Cleveland Browns have been shuttling Andrew Sharp's family members in at quarterback for the last 20 <laughs> years. You don't get bonus points for that. And by the way, let's look at what the Chicago Bulls looked like before Michael Jordan got there. They were that, terrible. Yeah. That's why they got him. They were a 20-win team, and he built them up gradually to a playoff team, to the first round, to the second round, to the conference finals, to the finals. And people act like it took forever for Jordan to do it. It took all of seven years for Jordan uh, to win his first title. I mean, everybody made that seem like it was this epic marathon. Oh, he finally did it. Jordan can never win. Seven years. By his 13th year in the NBA, Jordan had won six titles for Chicago. Chicago had never won a title before Jordan. They'd won six titles. It took LeBron 13 years of his career to win the first title in Cleveland. And, you know, after that first stint by 2010, he was telling the world, as he's acknowledged publicly, I needed Dwayne Wade. I needed to go to Miami to win at the highest level. Jordan didn't need that. And by the way, to win the first title in Cleveland, LeBron needed two free number one picks that he could turn into an MVP caliber player at the time in Kevin Love. And he needed another number one pick in uh, Kyrie Irving to run shotgun for him. Jordan got one really lucky draft pick type trade to get yeah. Scottie Pippen. The rest was all role players for him to build that first title team in Chicago. I think Jordan building up to that first title is actually more impressive than LeBron, quote unquote, building up uh, to the, the Cavaliers first title as a, you know, in their franchise history because of the other help that he had because he had to leave and come back. Now, if you want to say, look, beating the Warriors specifically was more impressive than any of the six teams that Jordan beat in the finals. Uh -huh. uh, I will, I will see that point, okay. but I think LeBron is framing this thing totally wrong yeah i don't know i mean i i i like the distinction you made at the outset which is that if he's talking about how he felt after that title then i totally understand him feeling like he was bulletproof after that win which in a sense is true because after he came back and beat golden state the way he did in 2016 he has pretty much been above criticism in the mainstream for the last two and a half years and and really like he has entered kind of iconic territory and it doesn't really matter what he does people are just gonna love him because they're invested in the myth of lebron which is totally fine and understandable i think like no matter what you want to say that win against the warriors put him in top three territory regardless and um so i think if that's what he meant then sure uh, that's completely fine um 
I, that's not what he meant, though. That's the problem. That's not what he meant. Because <laughs> there's a big jump between, hey, look, I'm in the top three now. I'm on Mount Rushmore, which is where he was a couple years before that, right? Yeah. I remember when Jordan was turning 50 at the All-Star weekend and everyone's saying, oh, you know, Mount Rushmore, who's on Mount Rushmore? And everybody kind of agreed LeBron had made it. Mm-hmm. There's a big jump between being on Mount Rushmore and, like, chiseling over George Washington and Abraham Lincoln <laughs> and saying, like, hey, it's President LeBron. I'm here. Well... But even if you talk about the Rushmore presidents, I'm sure each one of those presidents felt that they were the the greatest president in the history of our republic. And I don't blame LeBron for being like, yeah, I am the greatest. I think every player who's in that conversation probably feels that they're the best of all time. Look, to be honest, though, I'm distracted now because if Roosevelt really thinks that, he just got on there because he knew the sculptor. Like, that's a real <laughs> fact. Like, if he really thinks he was a better president than Lincoln, then get him out of here. That's a real fact straight out of a visit to the actual Mount Rushmore National Park. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I look, here's my thing on LeBron. I, the, th- the thing that I found most interesting was the difference between LeBron's comments and the comments from Jordan that surfaced in 2009 where he came out saying, you know, I, I'm i flattered by the comparison, but it actually makes me feel uncomfortable because I never got to play against Jerry West <laughs> and Will Chamberlain and all that bullshit. I mean, like, look, LeBron, Jordan definitely thinks he's the greatest player of all time and definitely talks about it freely among his friends and will probably use profanity to put other contenders down and more power to it because first of all i think both you and i agree that he is the best player ever um but i I was struck by kind of the difference in eras and i think that both lebron and jordan are executing the same blueprint but under completely different media conditions. And I think LeBron is perceptive enough to realize that he can come out and say he's the greatest player of all time now. And people will will appreciate his ambition and appreciate his honesty and celebrate that. And he won't get crushed for it. Whereas like Jordan came from a different era when people wanted to see the greatest act humble and 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 sort of like take it in an understated manner and um and so i i just think it's kind of interesting the way like people wanted to see jordan dominate and people want to see lebron kind of get triple doubles and i i think there are a lot of parallels to their eras where both of them were doing everything they could to make themselves the most marketable athlete on the planet and um and that just manifests very differently 25 years later. It's a fantastic point. One of the best points you've ever made in open floor history. You know, <laughs> we're living, Andrew, we're living proof. I mean, if you go back 15 years, I bet you were trying to work up the courage to send an email to a link that's something that you wrote, uh-huh. hoping that other people would put it on their site. Now we're out here begging for people to follow us on Instagram so we can show off our vacation photos. I mean, it's, it's a changed it's society. It's very it's different. A, it's a hundred percent changed society. And I think one thing on LeBron coming out and saying it, he didn't get very much of a news cycle out of that comment. If you consider the the historical gravity of that statement, 
it lasted 24 hours and it came and went. So if I was him and he was like trying to test drive that idea, uh, <laughs> by the send way, that one back, send that one back to the factory for modification. That is how it played to me. It felt like a trial balloon from like LeBron Inc. and Maverick Carter and Spring Hill Productions. Like just slip it into this random documentary series that we're doing with ESPN and see how it plays. And then we'll revisit this over the summer. I feel like this isn't the last time LeBron is going to call himself the greatest player of all time. And again, with a certain generation, that plays well. And people like to celebrate his freedom to call himself the greatest player of all time. I just think, um, you know, if we're talking strictly in objective terms, Jordan is just a little bit better uh, across the board. And then... and on Jordan's video too, by the way, you summarized it brilliantly. Like you know, the the faux humble. I mean, we we both know that as soon as the camera turned off, Jordan daps up Mike Wilbon and says, "Look, I'd give fifty five to Jerry West in my sleep." Right? Like we know <laughs> <Totally>. that <laughs> that's exactly how that played. And um, we also know if we gave Mike truth serum and he watched LeBron's video, that man is laughing hysterically watching that. Right? Don't you think? Like if Mike is sitting there. You know, in his man cave, you know, smoking his cigars, squirting his own Michael Jordan cologne on himself, wearing his limited edition fifty thousand dollar Michael Jordan sneakers, dressed head to toe in a Michael Jordan tracksuit. Yeah, all of his championship rigs on his fingers, all that stuff, and he's watching LeBron say that on uninterrupted or whatever. Don't you think Jordan is just laughing, thinking, man, this guy has no idea? <laughs> I do think that. But again, I don't blame LeBron for thinking Jordan has no idea either. I mean, look, they both are – have like I, I would say that both of them have mastered basketball to a degree that leaves them pretty much peerless among anyone in NBA history, and it's those two and everybody else. Um, and, like, Jordan – Everything he said was essentially a commercial. I would just add that it's to me, it feels like everything LeBron says is also a commercial, including some of the activism and stuff like that. I mean, all of it plays well to a certain generation of sports fans and media. The two most calculating basketball players that of my lifetime. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know who would be third. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. It, and they might even be tied at one. They're, uh, and, they're and both there's brilliant no and are both going to be worth a billion dollars. If LeBron's not there already, he's probably pretty close. Um, the, uh, the only other thought I had, one thing that gets brought up every time we compare these two is that five LeBrons would beat five Jordans. And I just think that's complete bullshit. Just for the record. I think that Jordan was good at everything in much the same way LeBron is and was also a complete psychopath who would have found a way to beat just about anybody. And so I think if you put five Jordans on the court, they're not losing to anybody in NBA history. The only concern I'd have is on the last shot, you know, four Jordans are getting looked off by whichever Jordan has the ball. I mean, that's a real chemistry nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think Jordan's a better all-around defensive player than LeBron. Yeah, that's so, the thing. Well, Jordan was a, a terror on defense for 15 years, too. Um, okay, and we will keep it moving and talk Sixers in a second. But first, Ben, today's show is brought to you, brought to everybody by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. 
Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple. It's intuitive. It will give you data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Ben, tell me a little bit more about your experience with Robinhood. Well, look, Andrew, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, uh, but when you're reading that ad copy, it was very professional, but you really need to emphasize all commission-free because that's the beauty of Robinhood, right? Other brokerages will charge up to $10 for every trade. They're just skimming right off the top. Robinhood does not charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. What could be better? The app is also really easy to use. It's mobile-friendly for mobile Open Floor Globe Listeners, you can search through different options, uh, categories. If you want to look for social media, most popular, entertainment, whatever it might be, Robinhood's got you covered. There you go. And Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. Get your free stock, potentially join the Blue Bubble Gang, do it big, you know, do it big with Robinhood in 2019. Floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. Let's move on, though, because you did watch the Sixers. G in Charlotte said, at what point do the Sixers realize that it's extremely unlikely this roster ever hits its full potential? Because I'd be quietly floating Simmons trades across the league to figure out what the best fit return would be for a roster you're building around Joel Embiid. What do you think, Ben? That that This was one thing that did sort of blow up while I was away and away from the basketball internet. It seems like the Ben Simmons chemistry issues became like a real thing for four or five days there. What was your Andrew, read on them watching them in person? I probably never missed you more while you were gone than I, when I was at this Clippers-Sixers uh, game. Mm-hmm. It was like on the level of LeBronzo weirdness. I mean... First of all, there was four technical fouls, two ejections, multiple shoving matches. The the Sixers got out to this huge lead that nearly blew the whole thing. They probably would have lost the game if Lou Williams, a 92% free throw shooter, hadn't missed four free throws in the same game. It was just a weird game. But easily the weirdest moment was Embiid and Simmons fighting for control over a rebound uncontested by any other Clippers players. Yeah. During the rebound, Simmons basically hits Embiid in the face and Embiid like basically freaks out because he's having flashbacks from getting hit in the face by Markel Fultz. And he's thinking like, Oh no, (laughs) I'm going to have to wear one of those stupid masks again for multiple months. And Oh no, again, it's a friendly fire situation. Somehow the television camera microphones pick up him basically calling Simmons out for fighting over the rebound. And these guys hardly talk to each other, hardly gesture to each other on the court during the game. I mean, it's just very like kind of like Cold War, uh, you know, type atmosphere going on between those two. And then after the game, Brett Brown comes like armed and ready to the post game, you know, podium, basically saying, "Hey, there's nothing to see here," and <laughs> yeah. like you know, trying to get out in front of it pretty awkwardly. But in his very next answer, Andrew, what is he harping on? It's the old coachism of. You know, we need to be thanking each other for assists more often. We need to be high-fiving more often. We need to be acknowledging uh, each other's efforts more often. Mm-hmm. And so it was like like the headline statement was, hey, there's nothing to see here. But the sub-headline was like, there's definitely stuff to see here. 
And you know, the only other point I'd make on just their, their chemistry experiment is, have you ever seen people or have you ever done that face where you're like straining your smile so that you can see like your neck ligaments like sticking out? Like it's like that kind of weird face, like, ee, you know, like that. And like, <laughs> that's the face that all the Sixers beat media kept making whenever the issue of like, so how's the locker room here this season? And I didn't completely expect that, right? Because it's our job as national people to say, oh, yeah, what's the Ben Simmons trade scenario? This right. is probably not going to work between him and, and Jimmy Butler and all of that. But there's something fishy going on with those guys. And the contrast between how excited they were at this time last year when Embiid comes into L.A. and hangs 40-plus on the Lakers and he seems like the next Shaq and we're all drooling about what he's going to look like in the playoffs – to this year where he comes out and just dominates the Clippers again, and yet it's kind of overshadowed by all these chemistry questions. It was a really, really stark contrast. Yeah, it is kind of crazy how quickly this stuff can kind of take on a life of its own. Um, And I think anyone who says that people are being unreasonable has a point. It does feel like all of this is getting a little bit out of control, but there's no question that something is real there. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about people who actually work with the Sixers have to be pretty freaked out that like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid never really got together to just like work out and, and kind of like pretend, at least pretend to be an alliance. Um, and they like have not gotten any closer in the time that they've all been there. And um, that's a red flag on its own. And that's before you get to the part where they don't really fit on the basketball court. And and when Embiid came out, and like I guess it was maybe a week or two after Jimmy Butler was traded there, and Embiid came out and said, "I didn't like the way I don't like the way I'm being used, and I'm basically being turned into a spot up shooter to help spacing." Like that wasn't a shot at Jimmy Butler. That was about Ben Simmons, and that was the subtext of all of that. And I think that that's going to just continue to be a thing. Um, I don't know whether it means you, like, I think the distinction that is important to make now is that there's a difference between saying this isn't working and this can't work and this will never work. And I I think that it's fair to say now that this isn't working, that everybody involved in Philly needs to kind of like work harder to figure this out. And I, I think part of that starts with Ben Simmons, A, shooting and being at least like, taking a jump shot and he started to do that in the past week or so which is progress um but also he just needs to be more aggressive like there are fourth quarters where he just straight up disappears but it also is going to come down to like brett brown finding more creative ways to get him involved as opposed to just leaving him in the dunker spot which is a, a place on the court that i only know of because ben simmons stands there fourth quarter after fourth quarter. I didn't know the dunker spot was a thing until I just watched Ben Simmons turn into a statue against the Celtics. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. And it's not surprising to me that like all of this has started to come to the to surface in part because like Jimmy Butler accelerated the timeline for everybody in Philly. For sure. A couple of years ago, Steve Kerr made a real big deal about how he was reading that book boys in the boat about the rowing you know the crew team uh only it was based out of university of washington they wind up you know competing on uh, the olympic level and the the message from the book is basically like if you want to win at a high level everybody has to row together yeah 
I think when you're laying out the Eastern Conference to me like you did earlier and you're saying there's a lot of parity, Philly, Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, like those teams are all pretty close. And then you're asking, hey, is this going to work now or is it ever going to work? It will not work in this year's playoffs if these guys aren't rowing together. If Simmons and Embiid are just tolerating each other, if they're not really truly invested in each other, trying to make each other better and believing in the vision that they can all work and throw Jimmy into that equation too, they're not going to go where they could go based on their talent, right? They're going to be a team that's out in the second round because they were their own worst enemy. And Look, I, I, sorry to get a little corny there, but I no, think that, it's, th- this it's is great because it's something that Brett Brown would say. We all have to row together and we're all we all have an oar in our hand. He'd say that in his uh, little Boston accent. It'd be great. Yeah. Oh, he's the coxswain in this scenario. But uh, <laughs> I, it's true. I, and I just I mean, there was some phenomenal individual moments. Embiid is one of the most entertaining players to watch in the NBA in person. Full stop. Yeah. Like to me, he. Top three or four, you know, outside of LeBron, Giannis, Steph. Uh, I mean, he is right there. Um, and Simmons had some flashes in that in that same game too against LA, where he's you know throwing an inbounds pass off somebody's back, going in for this high flying dunk, you know, threading some just unbelievable passes to guys in transition. And look, he's leaving a lot of assists on the table because they traded his shooters, right? Yeah. It's like so. I mean, his his numbers and his effectiveness are not where they should be. Not only because he's a weird fit with Jimmy, but because they also sort of tied one hand behind his back by getting rid of some of their shooting. Um, but those phenomenal individual moments have to be consistent and they have to be collective. And that's my big question with Philly. And even though they beat the Clippers, they hung on at the end. I did not come away thinking, "Oh, this is a title team by any stretch." No, it just doesn't. Like the the sum of the parts does not really add up to anything special right now. Um, and if anything, they're kind of underperforming and and winning on the strength of just ridiculous MB performances. I mean, Jimmy Butler also quietly looks a little bit older right now. I mean, I I think that part of that is him feeling things out. Like if you go back to the Wolves last year, he spent the first month kind of getting adjusted before he started to take over. Um, But also, I mean, he's just not creating very much space for himself and he's taking a lot of tough shots and that's not a great sign as, as they stare down the prospect of like five more years paying him 30 and $35 million a season. That's like, that would freak me out too. Um, This. And to go back real quick to your question of, will it ever work? Let me ask you this. If they pay, Jimmy this summer like we're expecting will it ever work to pay those two guys max money Embiid and Jimmy and then give Simmons the max extension that he's going to be expecting on day one to me I don't know if that will ever work I'm not sure you can have all three of those guys on max numbers on the same roster and I I do think it's fair I mean I'm not going to go as far as the email or to be like floating out trade scenarios right now yeah but I don't think that's unreasonable at all to question whether you can pay those guys, you know, collectively, what, $100 million plus dollars, uh, and, you know, just have to be cycling these random, like, mini mid-level guys around them for the next couple of years? That doesn't sound like a very good team. No, definitely not. And it's funny because it's the one thing I told you, I believe, on Christmas night or perhaps the day after we were talking about the Sixers, and I said, like, the ultimate troll take today would be to come out and say, free Joel Embiid, because given the contract that Jimmy Butler is going to be getting and the limitation in Ben Simmons' game, like, 
there's there are going to be some issues kind of hitting the the, the full potential of that Sixers team. Um, and I'm not saying free Joel Embiid, but it would would have been a great take. The <laughs> uh, just to drive Sixers fans insane. The the thing with Simmons that would freak me out when you talk about signing all those guys on max deals. Um, obviously, there's the shooting, and there has also been issues at the free throw line this year, which is its own thing. But like, if if he could at least be useful at the free throw line, he could get to the line ten or fifteen times a game, and that would be really helpful for the Sixers to just have some built in offense to work from. Um, but there are also kind of just what has always bugged me with him are the intangibles. Um, and, and I think that like his complete disappearance in some of these big games and some of these fourth quarters, like if, if he weren't a former number one pick who was looked upon as like the future of the franchise, he would have been benched in some of those playoff games last year. And he probably should have been. And uh, that would freak me out more just from a, a, an intangible standpoint and the way he's wired. Like if, if everything's not running through him and he's not playing well, he's, we've seen him kind of shut down at times. And, um, you know, that's a real red flag. And I, I don't think the Sixers should do anything now, but everything should be on the table. Yeah, it's Steph-like, isn't it? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just playing. He shut I'm down on playing. Christmas, tired to kind of call <laughs> off his career. Um, Look, I'm just playing. Hey, I need to uh, interject here, close up this uh, Sixers conversation, because we have my favorite news segment. And you know what it's called, Andrew. What's that? It's the, it's the lantern. You know what the lantern <laughs> is. I go on my Instagram story, and I put out a little statement or a question or a prompt and all the open floor globe members out there reply to me on Instagram or they send in the emails to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com, giving me advice or, or helping me along. This week's lantern, and I call it the lantern because of the Revolutionary War era, Paul Revere, <laughs> you know, one lamp or two, one if by land, two if by sea, and so forth. Dude, uh, hold on. Let me stop you for a second. I feel bad for the dozen, like, let's say we've got like 50 new listeners today. Anyone <laughs> tuning into the podcast for the first time got 10 minutes of me talking about my time in the Middle East and then us rambling about Michael Jordan and now you comparing yourself to an American revolutionary. <laughs> it's got to be tough for someone who's not already bought in on open floor, but continue. Look, keep up, guys. We're, we're quick here. You got to keep up. My lantern question was this. You were in Oman, and I had not heard from you for like the first two days yep. after the John Wall season-ending surgery was announced. Like I had already thought of my take, written my column, posted my column, read through the hate mail from the Wizards fans who read the Washington Post, and digested all of that, and I had still not heard from you. So what I decided to put as the lantern question this week, Andrew, was how do I break the news to Andrew Sharp that John Wall, the franchise player for his beloved Washington Wizards, is out for the season and you know you hadn't heard you yes. know i was acting under the assumption you were going to come back to america 
land at like JFK or something and be like, wait a minute, what? John Wall's out? Well, I got some. Hold on. (laughs) That's, it was all founded on a flawed premise from you. I don't know whether you thought that the internet didn't exist in Oman. I wasn't sure where you were coming from, but I understand that you were passionate about this segment. So I didn't want to like cut you off as soon as I I saw the Instagram story. But sure, take me down the, the listener's lane here. Well, look, and this is not just about you and your feelings about John Wall. This is about breaking bad news to people to in anyone, your life sure. generally. So I'm going to give you some of the answers, and I'm not going to make you grade them on like a scale from like one to full boiling like uh-huh. we did a couple weeks ago with the other lantern. But you're going to tell me if these would have worked, okay? Yes. This is from Brandon. He says, I think your best bet when giving bad news is always to give worse fake news first. I know fake news is a hot button topic uh, these <laughs> days, but let's think about this. What would be worse to Andrew than a season ending injury to the star player of his favorite team? How about an injury to his nephew, Brandon Ingram? That should make Wall seem like a walk in the park. So if I had just hit you up while you're an old man and said, hey, Brandon Ingram's out for the year, and then you freaked out, and then I said, LOL, JK, John Wall's out for the year, would that have lessened the blow? What do you think? Um,. No, I look, it is a very good strategy for breaking bad news. It's something that I employed frequently throughout high school where I would like come home <laughs> and be like, hey, mom, I got suspended for three days for cheating. And she'd be like, what? I say, Actually, no, I just got a B minus in pre-calculus. So and so all things considered, sometimes that seems like good news. Andrew, that sounded an awful lot like student tanking, but I'm going to let that one be. <laughs> totally. <laughs> this is from Morgan. He writes, here's how you break the John Wall news to Andrew. Andrew, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The bad news is the Wizards still haven't been able to trade John Wall. The good news is John Wall has a lot more free time to spend with Mr. D-Rugs. What do you think? Would trying to put a positive spin... And, you know, calling back to our favorite uh, character in the John Wall universe have helped you get over the bad news. It's true that D-Ruggs is by far the best character in the John Wall cinematic <laughs> universe. And really... He's the the big winner here, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. He is. This is a big win for D-Ruggs. Anyone who's unfamiliar, Google John Wall D-Ruggs. I, I actually have no idea what will pop up there, um, but... Yeah, I I appreciate that, if only because it would remind me of my favorite story of the summer. Kevin asks, with any tragedy, i.e. the Wizards, it's best to try and keep things in perspective in order to appropriately measure the situation. This is the perspective-based question you should ask Andrew. Which, relatively, is a worst allocation of funds in Washington? the wizard's wall or trump's wall would sort of getting really dark with some you know horribly xenophobic politics have helped you get over the john wall injury um and contract no i'm gonna give that a two out of ten in in part because i've seen a lot of trump wall wizard's wall jokes on twitter over the last two years and i feel like we could do a little (laughs) bit better um, it, You're logging off when you see him. Is yeah, that what's happening? It's fine. I, my jokes are so much meaner than any allusion to Trump's wall. So it's it, I'm good. Okay, two more quick ones. D- Dakota writes, 
your best plan of attack would be to pamper Andrew for the whole show. Get him nice and comfortable, laugh at all of his jokes. Oh, Andrew, you're so funny and smart. You're such a great host. And then drop the hammer. After an hour, just be like, by the way, John Wall is out for the season. The Wizards are awful. And now you can be a full-fledged Celtics fan. That should work pretty well. Would Dakota's strategy have worked, Andrew? Um, yeah. You know, look, I'm just looking for closure here. And so any words that, that had any sentence that had John Wall is out for the season would have been met with smiles for me. I, and I do hope <laughs> that John Wall is okay. I'm not rooting for him to, to suffer in any way. I just think that like parting ways for the next few months is healthiest for everybody. The last one is easily my favorite. It comes from Linda via Instagram. She writes a one sentence with three exclamation points. Put it on a cake. So she wanted me to make <laughs> she wanted me to make a custom cake for you that basically said John Wall is out for the season with a season ending heel injury. Uh, would that have worked? That seems like, from based on what you're saying, that might have actually been the best option here because you'd be in a mood to celebrate. It's more of a celebration, yeah. And I think as a friend, you should have recognized that and actually ordered a cake. You know, you have people in Washington who could have helped you execute this. Go pick up the cake, drop it off at my house. Got you know, call some Washington Post editors to help you out here. That's what you should have <laughs> done. I feel like this was a dereliction of duty on your part. I'm picturing like multiple cupcakes. It's like, welcome back to America. Like open floor, <laughs> open floor, 2019. No more John, John Wall. Wall. In your life. <laughs> Career <did> <laughs> altering surgery. Hey, can I ask you though? I mean, you're taking this news in pretty good stride. Yeah. Are you convinced the Wizards franchise will be smart enough to do the obvious thing and just tank here? Because they're not that far out of a bottom five pick. It mm-hmm. seems like such an obvious method to handle the rest of the season just limit Bradley Beal's minutes play some of the younger guys see what you got with the rookie wing you know keep riding uh the Bryant Express in the middle (laughs) and you know just you know if you win okay if if you lose great you know and just manage this thing and and pray for Zion if you get a top five pick or even better you know try to land in the top three so you've got the best odds of that number one pick yeah are they smart enough to do this or are they going to sabotage themselves because Scott Brooks is still there and he's going to be coaching for his job and he's going to want wins um it's a good question I mean first of all all this takes me back to a few weeks ago and one of my favorite podcast moments of the season when I signed off the podcast on a rare optimistic note promising a a stretch of like two or three good months for the Wizards and within hours the Wizards were getting blown out by the Atlanta Hawks and I had I think that that night watching that Hawks game is the most disgusted I have ever been with the Wizards over the last like 25 (laughs) years of my life Perfect. Um, so it, it was really outstanding timing. Um, and let me tell you, though, I might not have been wrong because if you remove John Wall from the equation, nothing in the world would be more Wizards than missing out on this glorious tanking opportunity and unwittingly stringing together like tr- two or three above 500 months where they kind of forced their way into the playoff race and then finish either seventh, eighth, or ninth. Finishing ninth would actually be perfect after a spirited run to the finish and then kind of falling apart at the end, which is basically what happened last year. Um, 
So that's kind of how I see it playing out. I don't think that this team is consciously going to tank. And to do it, they would really need to come up with like a uh, a real fake injury to Beal because I think Beal is good enough to win them games against some of these Eastern Conference teams. And, um, and you know, Sadoransky is actually good. Some of these guys are actually good. Otto Porter is, gonna, is getting healthier and may actually help them. So it would take a conscious effort on the part of a bunch of team employees who are trying not to get fired. So I don't see this ending in a successful tanking operation. I've got to really applaud you. I mean, you are so on brand, able to find the worst case scenario in any scenario for the Wizards. (laughs) Because what you've laid out is rock bottom for this franchise, right? If they lost every game for the rest of the season, it would be embarrassing, but that would be obviously the best thing that could possibly happen to them, right? Yeah. They have no other method to get a top player. We've already said how they've cycled all these, you know, just marginal players around the core of Wall, Beal, and Porter. Porter, you're not going to get anything for if you trade him. Beal, you don't want to trade him. Wall, you can't trade him. The only way you're going to get a high-level player with this team, it's not from trade, it's not from free agency because they're capped out, it's from the draft. They're never going to have a better opportunity to have a high draft pick than this year, and you're telling me they're going to throw it away to chase the nine seed. That is just so bad. I mean, isn't this the moment where you start looking at some other smart franchises, not even like the Warriors or the Spurs, but like even like the Grizzlies from last year, where they managed that tank pretty smoothly, got themselves uh, Jay Jr., you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., my new family member. Yes. Uh, don't you just have envy? You know, when you're looking over at Memphis, even though their locker room's combusting as we speak, <laughs> aren't you just thinking, man, I wish we had the vision of that franchise? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. That was the the Memphis situation is unique in that, I mean, Conley was hurt for most of the season and I guess could have come back, but like they were already out of it by that point. And they may end up tanking again this year like that. The, the Grizzlies had no real hope regardless and, and had no other alternative but to kind of really bottom out hard last year. Um, and I guess now that I say that, that's also completely true for the Wizards too. That's what I'm so, saying. So, yeah, I don't know. I I look at the the Grizzlies now. I'm not that envious. I would love to root for, for J-Jack Jr., but beyond that, I'm, I'm kind of good. I don't, I don't find myself pining for like – Kyle Anderson and and Marcus all pick and rolls, but um, oh, can I ask you? It's in dark a better across scenario. the board. That's the that's the yeah. main takeaway from the the state of the Wizards right now. And just well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shine a light on you though. Okay, let's say you miss the playoffs, okay, and you win the lottery, and let's even say maybe you backdoor your way into a successful tank. So it's not even like you beat the crazy odds, but let's say you were just like the seventh or eighth worst team. You happen to get the number one pick. Is it Zion without consideration? Is there another guy you think would fit better with the current pieces or somebody who you think would fit perfectly with Beal going forward? Would you try to trade the pick? Like, what's your strategy if that pick fell in your lap? Uh, what would you do? Definitely Zion. Because at nice. this point, nice. <laughs> everything is so crappy and depressing that I'm just taking the most exciting player on the board to potentially make me care about this team again. But it's it's tricky because even hearing you lay all that out, in in the back of my mind, my, my fandom has been so poisoned lately that I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if 
I would want that for Zion. <laughs> like, I think it's better for the NBA if Zion Williamson succeeds. And if he comes to D.C., like, I mean, look, he's he's got a lot of weight on those knees. And, like, I'm sure something would go wrong if he came to the Wizards. So, I, it, basically, all of my logic is, is tortured right now. And there needs to be wholesale changes before I'm willing to have any sort of optimism about the Wizards. Although... I will say short term, I'm looking forward to watching this kind of skeleton crew put together some wins that are like completely counterproductive, but enjoyable nonetheless, because Sadoransky's kind of great. Bradley Beal can be kind of great. We got Thomas Bryant in the middle. I mean, I don't know. It, can, it, it may not be completely miserable. Yeah, just the ultimate definition of a Pyrrhic victory will be the rest of the season if they keep <laughs> winning. Um, would you get a Zion tattoo if you actually got him, though? I mean, how far would you get into Zion? Like, no. Allow yourself to dream. I know you're so you're being dark and you're worried about all this stuff, but like, be real. You got Zion. That's a franchise-changing talent, right? Like, we overuse that phrase, but I think we can agree he's got like you know Luca-level potential to to take to take a franchise that's been losing for a few years and turn them into something special, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the only player I ever would have considered getting a tattoo for would have been Otto Porter. I felt a particular oh, kinship with him, and it, even there, I would have needed the Wizards to like win a title for that to happen. So I think I'm past the age of like impulsive tattoos. But if if Zion brings a title to our nation's capital, maybe we can talk. Okay, what about Mitchell and Ness jersey? I'll, I'll lower the bar here. <laughs> sure. You get a, a, okay, there we go. That's what I was looking for. I'm trying to help you work through this, Andrew, because it really sounds like you're in a bad place. Like, Look, No one would ever guess by listening to this segment that you just spent a week and a half on a beautiful beach. I, Nobody no, would ever guess. I'm that. in a great place. If you bring up the Wizards, I have to be honest. I'm feeling good because I've <laughs> cut this stupid team out of my life. So I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I could have used a cake celebrating the news. But past that, everything is good. I do want to close. Shout out, Linda. <laughs> Shout out, Linda. Shout she out, nailed Linda, it. on Instagram. Um, the one other thing I wanted to talk about was we got this question from George who asks, shouldn't the, the Warriors consider trading Draymond this offseason, assuming Kevin Durant resigns? He isn't getting younger, and both his game and body are deteriorating quick, quickly. He hasn't been a factor on offense for a couple of years, et cetera, et cetera. We know Draymond has sucked. My question for you, though, Ben, how worried are you about the Warriors? Because I'm really reluctant to, to press any kind of alarm buttons here, in part because I was worried about Draymond like last season for the final three or four months and then looked like an idiot when he was awesome throughout the playoff run. Um, but, I mean, is any of this real? Clay hasn't looked like the same guy all year. Where are you with Golden State? I'm not that worried. Um, as long as Steph and Katie are healthy for the playoffs, I think they're going to be just fine. Um, I think that Draymond will be able to kick it up a notch. I'm not sure he's going to play as well as he did in last year's playoffs. But remember, we broke down the advanced stats and we looked at Draymond and we were like, this guy was like a top four player in all of the playoffs last year. I mean, other than like the elite A-list superstar guys, he was like the best, highest impact player. Yeah. Um, and I just have it hard to find it hard to believe he's going to fall off that hard in one year. You know, Clay, it's weird. I mean, I don't think he has an explanation. I don't think Kerr has an explanation. I think they're all just going to wait for him to come out of it. But they've won titles before when he was in bad slumps during the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like, I, and I just think from a chemistry standpoint, cohesion, matchups, 
I have a hard time building up any other team in the Western Conference that's going to be able to be on their level in a, po- a postseason format. And I don't see anybody in the Eastern Conference that's on their level, period. I, so, I mean, to yeah. me, my, my worry level is pretty low. Okay, I'm with you there. But at, this, at the same time, I would trade Clay and Draymond for Anthony Davis and, and whatever <laughs> other picks you needed to do. Like, if they can get that done by the deadline, and to be honest, this New Orleans thing is another huge development that happened while you were away. Like, they've been straight into the gutter for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, didn't I, Anthony if Davis I were there, had something like 32 and 26, and they still lost. It's It's getting pretty dark down there um I, I still don't see any reason for them to trade him during the season and they're definitely not trading him into the warriors no matter how many times you bring it up on the podcast however so here's let me piggyback on that question because here's why it interests me i agree with you that there's no reason to really sound any alarms right now um we've seen this before we've kind of gone through the motions with nitpicking the Warriors and it always ends badly and ends with us looking like morons. So we're not going to do that. However, no, uh, <laughs> do you have a mouse in your pocket? Or, or? <laughs> yeah. If you take Durant off that team next year and we're working with this pared down version of Draymond who can't score, can't really move the same way anymore and only turns it on for two months a year, if that in the playoffs, I mean, suddenly the Warriors, the bar gets a lot more, uh, a lot lower for everybody else. And I think that teams like the Sixers, teams like the Nuggets, teams like the Lakers, if LeBron can get another star, would have a real shot. And um, it's just something I've been thinking about over the last week or two. It's like, what what a backhanded way to describe Kevin Durant's value, but I'll take it. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, if you remove, you know, arguably the best player in the league right now, yeah, well, it's, it's going to lower their ceiling. And not just that, though. It's like the Warriors, I'd say, like, if you and I came to this conversation a couple months ago, we would have said, look, take KD off that team, and you still have Draymond, Clay, and Steph, and the Warriors can, can hang with anybody, and they're not going to go quietly. And that's not necessarily true if Draymond's not the same guy. And um, it's just something Very to kind of keep in mind because these other teams, we look at a team like Philly looking like miles away from contending, and that might not be true if we come back to this next year. Very good point. If you know, KD covers up a lot of problems, and it's absolutely you know he doesn't get the credit that LeBron gets as a playmaker, as a facilitator, because he doesn't have that level of vision. You know, he doesn't have that handle. Yeah. But his overall skill level and the the quantity of different things that he can do to impact a game is so large that he covers up flaws. He covers up for slumps. He covers up for you know a guy who's just you know kind of in third gear. I mean, just by his sheer talent alone. And the calculus for them would absolutely change, uh, you know, based on the factors you're describing. Yeah, well, and it, it suddenly opens the door for some of these flawed contenders this year. I mean, like Denver may not be as far away as we think either. I mean, they're they're a team that's beaten OKC twice. They've beaten the Warriors, um, or maybe they. It was. It may have been a close loss. To the worst. Either way, like they're in well, in the the mix. Um, Andrew, let's let them win one playoff game before we say they're going to knock the Warriors out. Okay? I, I don't, don't do this thing. I, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I love the Denver Nuggets. I think Jokic has been on that MVP conversation level. I'm all in on Jamal Murray besides his celebrations and his his stat chasing. 
I like a lot of their individual pieces. We don't have to prop them up and say they're a real threat to the Warriors. We don't have to go that far. For sure. I'm just excited for some of these imperfect contenders to potentially have a real shot next year. Um, and that that's my big takeaway from the Draymond struggles. Is it's The issue is not that the Warriors are suddenly going to go lose this year's title, but it does very much change the way we think about what Golden State may have next season. Uh, so, anyways, hey, while we're, while we're on the subject of how like untouchable Golden State is and all that, uh-huh. while you were gone, I got to thinking, and this was like you know another one of these moments where, and I probably shouldn't have been left alone with my own thoughts, but I think that we need to take this Western Conference elitism to the next level, Andrew. I think we need to formalize it. Uh-huh. I I really want to turn the Western Conference into sort of how the SEC has branded itself as like the most elitist like you know, division in basically all of sports. So what I want is, you know how I get the SEC championship game, the fans from both teams will be like chanting like SEC, SEC. (laughs) And they just are so over the top. That's what I want the Western conference to turn into. So here's what I propose. I want a Western conference finals champion trophy. Okay. Uh I think it should be probably Tim Duncan if I had to choose. (laughs) Um, But we, we could kind of debate who that would be. And I want that handed out during the Western Conference Finals. And they don't have to invite Adam Silver for this. I mean, they could be, you know, whatever dignitary. Maybe bring back David Stern. um, I don't know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, some other Western Conference legend could sort of hand the trophy out like they hand the the NBA Finals trophy out. Turn that into a bigger deal. I think you should get a special banner for your arena uh, to hang, you know, to just sort of like complement your Finals banner, which, you know, definitely is coming afterwards. Yep. What do you think? Uh, I mean, you've already done this, though. You've already turned the West into its own version of the major leagues or the SEC, and it's already insufferable enough. I don't know if we need to crank this up and take it to the mainstream. But look, I'm glad that you have dreams, and I'm glad that you're remaining firmly planted on this corner and i will (laughs) i will continue to enjoy the east which is a lot more fun than the west again this this is this is not just idle trash talk there's actually a purpose with what i'm trying to do i want to shame and guilt trip these eastern conference teams into finally voting for the the 1 to 16 playoff format because that's what we need andrew like i think there are five really interesting Eastern Conference teams. I'd even throw the Pacers in. Yeah, uh, they they might not be interesting like a night to night watch. Interesting, but like that's a team you have to like legitimately consider. The rest of the East is just absolute trash, right? And we know that we'd rather have eleven teams from the West and five teams from the East if we had our choice. The only hurdle is these Eastern Conference owners who won't vote against their own self-interest, right? So I think we just need to ratchet up the public embarrassment factor here. And the only way I can think of doing that is is sort of a positive way. Like, you can't make a banner that says, like, ha-ha, you suck, you won the Eastern Conference. Like, that won't work. <laughs> so the West's only move here to, like, publicly shame the East teams mm-hmm. is to celebrate themselves to, like, a ridiculously corny degree. And I think the only other organization that has fully embraced that, it's the SEC. Yeah, that's true. And look, let me tell you something. I've never felt more alienated from you than the weekend you were down in Alabama and the weekend you became a Crimson Tide fan for 48 hours. So I don't want you to lean any further into that side of yourself. <laughs> um, but certain things can't be avoided. I think you've been leaning in that direction for years now. Um, so we'll see. You know, We'll see where we are. But listen, 
I was wide awake at 4.30 this morning and have been up for like 18 hours. Um, Jet lag is pretty real. Uh, So I apologize if there were any points on this podcast where I was less than coherent. But it's good to be back, Ben. It's good to get back into a little rhythm here. We got two podcasts next week. 2018, nope, 2019 (laughs) is going to be a great year for Open Floor. You've got nothing to apologize for. You you fought through the fatigue, the jet lag, <laughs> the cross cultural, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance, whatever else you might have been, you know, plagued with. You did a great job. It's so nice to have you back. And let me also just say, thanks for Rob for filling in. Yeah. But thank you for always hosting. It's a lot harder to host, and I'm sure people who were listening last week could understand how much more difficult it is uh, to actually, you know, carry the conversation, <laughs> direct it set up the questions so kudos to you and i'm you know i'm very glad to have you back yeah an excellent point guard our listeners can email openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com to yell at us about some of our crazy hot takes from tonight's episode or to set us up for next week and and, you know the trade deadlines right around the corner all-star voting is out luka Doncic is way up there on the fan vote lots of interesting storylines there Also, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. There's a section that says Rate and Review. Tap five stars there. It will really help us out, and we really appreciate it. Don't forget, look for the lantern question on Ben.Golliver on Instagram. It will be coming (laughs) at some point this week. And, Andrew, we're also on the world-famous radio.com. Yeah. We? we sure Big are. We we sure are. And I reserve the right to potentially kill the lantern segment at some point in the next month. But I'm going to kind of give you some rope here. We'll see where it leads. But for now, it's just great to be getting back to normal. So, Well, you know what, Andrew? You know who else tried to reserve the right to kill the, the lantern British. segment? <laughs> the British. How'd that work out for them, okay? Uh, this is Transatlantic Sharp here signing off. Um, I will talk to you soon, man, all right? Until next week, Andrew, I'll talk to you.